I want to talk about this thing about rest. Have you got that slide there with Paul's quote on earth? Yeah, that's what we're going to call it, seeing him as he is, but the next one. There we go. So this is what Paul said. This is where we're kind of uh, at the beginning of the year. Paul said during this, next year each one of us will have to enter into rest in a whole new dimension. We have to learn to rest in him, be in him, live in and out of him, find our source in him, and find the rest of faith and lean our head on the pillow in the midst of the windstorm. And he was taking that from the passage where Jesus is in the boat and he's got his head on the pillow and he's asleep while there's a storm raging on around him. So we've been talking about rest and we're going to, well, we're not really going to talk about rest today as, as such. We're going to talk about some of the things that we might need to do to enter into rest and some of the things we might need to do to see Jesus as he really is. Um, but let me just remind you of some things that I said last week because it kind of builds on it what I'm going to say now. Um, one of the things I felt Jesus said to me at the end of last year was I need to slow down to speed up. And what he, what he meant by that was in order to accelerate in the things of the kingdom, you may well have to stop doing some things that are not really very kingdomy. That's really what that means in that sense. And I sense that's not just for me, but, but for all of us. But last week we explored Mark in chapter 4, which is Jesus in the, in the boat, in the storm. And at the beginning of that story, it says there was a need to go over to the other side. And, and the first thing about entering rest is that there's got to be some form of movement. Because nearly, n- nearly nobody, yeah, that's a word. There is hardly anybody, that's a better word, that actually lives in a place of rest. That is a non-anxious presence in the world that just lives in peace and rest. But Jesus did live in peace and rest all the time. Um, and that's where I believe he wants to lead us. But it will involve a specific choice. And, and not just a one-off choice, but more likely a series of daily choices. Um, and, and I think as well, it's a series of daily choices, which some days you'll make and some days you won't. So this week, uh, not every choice I made led me to a place, into a place of my rest. But I made more choices like that than I have done in the past. Therefore, I'm winning. So it's not about that I get every choice right. You know, I spent way too long scrolling through Facebook for some ridiculous reason. I hate that thing with a passion now. But I still got stuck up in it. But it's okay because I spent considerably less time than I have done last year. So I'm winning. So I'm not going to beat myself up over it because I'm winning. And you shouldn't beat yourself up over it. You've just got to go, okay, yeah, but am I moving forward? Um, And then we talked about leaving the crowd behind. Uh, The crowd is not at rest. The crowd is not at peace. And by the crowd, we just mean the general population of the world. Um, And of course, uh, because the crowd is not at rest, then living life like the crowd won't get you where you need to be. So we've got to ask ourselves, how willing are we to leave the crowd behind? Or or to put it another way, how radical are we going to be? Um, And I'll say it again, Phil's already said it, but rest won't come from tinkering around the edges. It won't come from making small adjustments. Well, it will, actually. It'll just take you a a lot longer to get there. Um, You know, you can either take baby steps or you can take big leaps. It's up to you, really. But one will get you there a lot quicker. That's the ultimate outcome. It said, we said that Jesus, uh, they only woke Jesus up when he was nearly swamped, when the boat was nearly swamped. And the other of our challenges is that sometimes we wait until life has nearly swamped us and then call out to Jesus rather than live with him all the time. And then finally, they were terrified, and we asked when, 
were you so awestruck at his power and majesty that you trembled? And I do sense there is a new, a new side of Jesus to explore about his majesty and his awe um, in that way. But this morning I want to go to Luke in chapter 9. Uh, it's called uh, the Transfiguration. Um, let me read it to you. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with them and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. So, Peter, James, and John have this incredible moment. They see Jesus in a totally different light, a, a totally different way. They see in a new dimensions. They see in a new moments. They see people who it seems of, well, Moses died, Elijah got taken up into heaven, according to the Bible. So one died, one didn't. But they're seen in a whole different dimension, whole different ways. Whatever you make of that and whatever you think it was, they're seeing in new lights and new ways. And really, I want to explore... What, got them, what did they do to get to that point? Because I want to see in new ways. I want to see Jesus in new lights. I want to see different dimensions of him, different facets of him. I want to see his glory. I, I know him in a certain way, but there's so much more to him, and I want to see more. Well, these guys saw more. So my question was, well, what did they do? Well, that's what we're going to explore. And of course, first of all, the first thing to notice, this incident occurs after eight days, and it says... Uh, it says, after eight days, about eight days after Jesus had said this. Well, well, the first thing we best do is work out what he just said then, because it's clearly linked. And it says in Luke 9, 23 to 25, which is the words, the words before it, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will serve it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and you lose or forfeit your own self? So, before this experience, this new experience the disciples have with Jesus, and before Jesus reveals himself in new ways, Jesus has said some pretty challenging things to them. He's made it clear that there can't be some airy-fairy pursuit of him if you want to see him. There can't be some kind of, well, I'll just tag it on to everything else that I'm doing. That's one of the things he's saying. And it's fascinating to me, the more I look and see, the more I get a little bit worried at how similar the lives of most people who claim to be followers of Jesus are to the lives who don't follow Jesus. It seems to me that for many people, the way of life is very similar to the way of life around us. And that our culture has crept slowly into church, even in some ways how we do church, and then that makes us not that much different. So it's like... We don't really do life, do we live radically different lives? I'm not sure many of us do live radically different lives, to be honest, uh, than those around us. Um, 
And I mentioned last week about my desire to be radical, which means to get back to the root. That's what being radical means. And I think, again, I just want to say this. We won't get to see all that's possible by tinkering around the edges. It will demand some radical changes to how we live. And it will certainly involve making choices, daily choices, to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. But let's talk about what that means. Because when I read that phrase, this is what I think. I think of Jesus carrying the physical cross towards Golgotha. He literally took up a cross on his way towards a death that would bring life. So when he took up a cross, it wasn't just taking up a cross because he was going to kind of burden himself with some burdensome thing. He was doing it to go somewhere else to bring something else. He was going to bring life out of it. So to take up our cross daily, I think it's there now. To take up our cross daily then means to make daily decisions that actually bring life. It means choosing to stop doing those things that are just a form of escapism that don't feed your soul and start doing those things that do. That's really what taking up your cross means. It doesn't mean doing something you don't like or beating yourself up or making life difficult or sitting in a cold room because you think that might help you hear Jesus better. Or like It just means, what am I going to do that leads me to life? Because those things that don't need a life, they need to be killed. And again, you can either kill them quickly or you can kill them slowly. It's up to you. But they need to be killed. But the quicker they kill them, the quicker they disappear and the more life comes. So, so this idea of seeing something new of Jesus, seeing him as he is, it starts with this sense of there's going to be after some things that are going to actually die. And I think that we've kind of, well, I thought, let, let, let's talk about me, not we. I easily fall into the trap. I'm jumping ahead, so we're not going to go there. We're going to go to Luke 9.28. After eight days, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. So, Jesus made this point about taking up your cross daily. Then he takes three of his boys up a mountain. Now, up a mountain is Bible code for getting away. That's what it is. It's Bible code for getting away. It's how the New Testament writers want you to know that Jesus is getting away from the crowds. He's leaving the crowds behind. So, you see, once again, there's this picture of Jesus making a choice to do something life-giving. And of course, that attaining of life costs. Walking up a mountain in your sandals isn't easy. It's hard work. It involves effort to go away and rid ourselves of the distractions. But each of us in our own sphere and time of life need to work out what it means for us to go up into a mountain. What does it mean for us to get rid of the distractions and to find some time where we can go and experience them in a new way? And that will be different for everybody. That's different for me with four other people in my house and, and older kids, which is different from somebody with younger kids in the house, which is different from somebody who lives on their own, which is different from somebody who's a couple, which is different from somebody who's retired. It, it's all different, but we've got to know what is it for me to do that? You know, for somebody who lives on your own, it might be getting together with somebody else. That might be what it means to go up on a mountain, to have somebody to talk to and pray with and pray together. For somebody who's in a house of five people like me, it probably means getting rid of them all or going somewhere where they're not. So it's not, it's not the same for each of us. It's got to be different. But what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you to go up to a mountain? What does that mean? Is it a place? Is it the same place? For some people, they enjoy having the same place. Some people enjoy having a totally different place. 
For some people, it's out in nature. For some people, it's in a room huddled in a blanket with a candle on in the dark. Well, it can be whatever it is. But, but the key thing is, what's your place? And then we must be clear there's a purpose to going up the mountain. And it's to communicate with heaven. That's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with heaven. And prayer is a skill that we have to learn. Prayer is a skill. And you see, like anything else, it requires practice if you're to excel in it. See, Faye can go, go in her house and sit at a piano that she has in her house and she can just sit there and just play for like an hour, an hour and a half. She can just play. And of course, it's a joy to her. She doesn't have any music. She just plays. Sometimes she might have music, but she knows that if I put my left hand here and my right hand here and move these fingers like this, it makes a beautiful noise. But of course, the reason it's a joy to her is because she's practiced it for many years. When she first started, she was like just one hand. C, D, E, D, C, D. Like, well, it's not much fun, is it? There's no real joy in it at first because you've got to practice it for it to become a skill. But, but you realize communicating with heaven is exactly the same. And lots of us, lots of us don't learn the piano because we don't want to put the hard work in. But if you don't put the hard work in, you don't get the joy of being able to do it. Well, it's just the same with communicating with heaven. But, but except it's easier with communicating with heaven because if they learnt the piano with the world's greatest piano player sat next to her, and every time she sat at the piano, the world's greatest piano teacher and player sat there, she'd have probably learned quicker. Well, of course, you have the world's greatest communicator on the inside of you. He's called the Holy Spirit. So you already have the great teacher. You already have the one who has an open communication. So you're not doing it on your own. You're not just sat there trying to work it out on your own. You actually have got all the help you need. He said, I sent you the helper. So you've got all the help you need, but if you never go up the mountain to release the helper, if they never sits at the piano, she'll never learn. So, so she could be living with the greatest piano teacher ever, but if she never sits at the piano, she'll never learn. So of course, you have the greatest helper who wants to teach you, who wants to show, who wants to share you, but if you never go and spend some time with him, he can't do his job. And you know what? There are so many ways to pray. We've got to be, you know, when I say pray, you will have an image of what that means. But I have all sorts of prayers. So I, when I walk the dog, I call it pondering prayer. I'm just walking along, thinking. I'm not going, dear Jesus, please pray for son, son, please pray for son. I don't do that sort of praying when I'm walking the dog. So if he, if he brings somebody into mind, I may well lift them, but generally I'm just pondering. I'm just thinking. I don't have any music on. I don't have a podcast on. I'm, not, I'm just trying to listen. Just listening, pondering prayer. And then I have prayer when I'm just walking around and speaking in tongues. Just kind of, I don't even know what I'm praying about. But that's, and then I have prayer when I'm kind of proclaiming and declaring. And then I have prayer when I'm just sat in silence. And then I have prayer when I'm reading a, a, my Bible or prayer when I'm reading a book. You realize that it's quite easy to pray all the time when you realize what prayer really is. Because if prayer is communicating with heaven, it's just about listening all the time. So right now I'm talking to you, but I'm also listening because I'm going, okay, heaven, if there's anything you want to say that I've not got written down, I'm listening and I'm hoping I might have good enough reception to pick it up and share it in a way you can understand it. But really, that should be happening all the time, no matter where we are. 
which is how you can pray without ceasing, as Paul writes. But it's a skill. And we need to learn that skill because prayer changes us and opens up doors to new possibilities. Verses 29 to 31. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It was as he was praying that change happened. Change did not happen when he was on his fifth episode of the Netflix show at three o'clock in the morning. Change did not happen when he was watching the news. Change did not happen when he was scrolling endlessly through his social media feed. Change happened when he was communicating with heaven. That's when change happens. It is no coincidence that last year I think I changed more than ever with Jesus because I spent more time than ever with Jesus. Those things are linked together. They just are. Now, of course, God can speak to us through all sorts of ways. You know, I've used film clips, books, stories, news articles, many times as illustrations. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But we have to ask whether they actually change us. Do they bring us life? Do they liberate? Do they fill us with hope? Or are they things that actually control us? Or are we in control of them? You realize nearly everybody on this planet is an addict to something. We're all addicts to something. We just don't like to admit it. But in truth, anything that you can't put down immediately and never pick up again, you're an addict. Really. If you can't put it down and just leave it there and never pick it up again, well, that's probably not a good thing. Unless it's the Bible, of course. Oh, Jesus. Don't mind you being addicted to him. But as Jesus communicated with heaven, he was changed. Something happened, and for a moment, something more of who he really was was revealed. Something of his majesty and glory was revealed just for a moment, and somehow a door into another dimension was opened, and those who had gone before appeared to be speaking with him. And there's lots in there, and there's a reason why it's Elijah and Moses and all that. But the key for today is this. When we spend time communicating with heaven... We open doors to new possibilities, to see new things, to experience Jesus in new ways, and to see new dimensions of him. In order to do that, though, we must wake up to the reality of our times and the reality of what else consumes our time and what it's doing to us. Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. I think this verse is really prophetic of the time we are in. Because if we're not fully awake to all that's going on, we may miss some of what God wants to show us. It was only when they became fully awake they saw new dimensions of Jesus. That they saw into new dimensions and saw beyond. The thing about being fully awake is that perhaps we've got to be more careful about those things that make us sleepy. Sometimes it's not so much about making sure we're awake, but limiting those things that cause us to sleep spiritually. So I don't mean things that tie you out. You know, exercise is good for you. What I mean is those things that are, let's use a different metaphor. Some things sharpen our ability to hear the voice of God and communicate with heaven. Other things dull it. 
So, so one of the tricks to being more awake, and I know I'm mixing metaphors now, but one of the tricks to being more awake is to do less things that cause you to be sleepy. Less things that dull your mind. Um, because then you're automatically more awake. So, so to become more awake, as it were, there are two things we need to do. We spend more time in those acts that awaken us to his voice, but also less time in those things that dull us to his voice. You see, we often seem to think that a lot of the things we do are neutral. In other words, they're harmless. So we seem to think that a lot of the things we do don't have much impact on our lives. But I am not sure that's true, because everything we do affects us one way or another. There is very little in this world that has a neutral effect on us. Uh, if you go out there, Nath, everything we do either leads towards life or it leads away from life. That's the truth. But I think we often fall for the lie that things are neutral. They don't affect us either way. But it either leads you to life or away from life. That's the truth about it. And so the challenge is to identify those things which lead us to life and those things that lead us away from life. And then it's fairly simple. But this week, I want to challenge you. Make one change to what you do or how you do it. Think of those things you do that don't really lead to life. They're not necessarily harmful to you or anyone else. You probably wouldn't say that they were sinful in that sense. But, but maybe we've got to think beyond whether it's sinful or not sinful and think about does it lead me to life or does it lead me away from life? Because the enemy does his greatest work by persuading you that it's harmless when in fact it leads you away from life. And a lot of the time, it may seem harmless, but if it's not taking you into life, well, it's not good, is it? Maybe just change one thing this week that will move you towards being more fully awake to the voice of God to you. And then Luke 9, verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because Peter gets a bit embroiled in the moment. He's seeing Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And to be fair, I would not turn down a dinner invitation with those three. I mean, you'd want to stick around, wouldn't you? Think of the stories those boys could tell. So, but of course, the issue is this. When you see something new of him, it's not just for you. And it's not for you to live there. Peter thought, well, we'll just stay here. We'll just all live here. But of course, Jesus was going, no, 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 no. This is, this is something that you're going to see to understand, to then take with you and take somewhere else. Every experience and interaction with heaven is always about more than you. It's about impacting you, changing you, transforming you. So you may leave that place and go and impact, change, and transform someone somewhere else. That's what it's for. That's why Peter think I got it wrong. He just wanted to hang out, but that's not the point. The point is that you might, any glimpse of his goodness and glory is not just for you, it's for those around you. Finally, verses 34 to 35. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And like last week, there's this, there's this healthy fear when the glory of God turns up. This healthy sense of awe and wonder, like, ooh. But the other benefit of learning more and more to communicate with heaven is that it speaks to our identity and the identity of those around us. So, so in that moment, 
The father once again confirms Jesus' identity. This is my son. This is his primary identity, my son. And communicating is as much about listening as it is about talking. It's about hearing truth and allowing it to seep into our souls and spirits. You are not sustained by being entertained. You are not sustained by being entertained. You are not sustained by seeing everybody else's fake book lives or instant unreality grams. You are not sustained by being, you are sustained by the voice of the Father. Meaning, meaning, vocation, identity, significance come through the voice of the Father. And of course, we all need someone to be the voice of the Father to us, to help us hear, discern, and listen. Whether that's directly from him or through somebody else. My sustenance has never come from being entertained. It's been from hearing the voice of the Father. Which means spending some time with him. And spending time with those who are mothers and fathers to us. Who help us, reassure us, speak life into us, remind us of his goodness. It will of course mean laying those things down which don't bring life in order to pick up those things that do bring life. And I realize that I'm kind of hammering on about this at the moment. But you see, there's no point talking about rest or Sabbath or slowing or any of those sorts of things or silence or any of those kind of practices of Jesus until you've made a decision to enter in. Because you have to make a decision to enter in. And we're going to talk about what it means to trust rather than be in faith as well. But, but actually that decision and that choice has got to be made. And we all naturally as people wait till the best time. Next week will be the best time. Tomorrow will be the best time. When I get this in place will be the best time. Well, there will always be a better time in your mind. But maybe the best time is today. Maybe the best time is right now. Maybe the best time to make a difference is now and to make a change. And I just, I just want to encourage you because, and again, I want to encourage you because I realize that if you're not careful, you can hear this. Like I said last week, you can kind of hear it as a, well, if I just do this and just do that. But I honestly believe that there is a new, I don't even know how to describe it, but I guess just a fresh somehow ability to connect. I am hearing more and more and more of people who are hearing Jesus in new ways, fresh ways, deeper ways. And if, if you... I want to say this, if you are struggling with that, please send me an email, send me a text message because I want to pray for you. I'm believing that God wants to take us all on a journey of it. And and of course, he's taking you on a journey from where you are. So wherever you are, he's taking you on the next step, which is not where somebody else is. So it's going to look different from all of us. But I... I still am deeply excited about this time. I'm deeply excited about what's going to happen. I'm deeply excited about the things that are going on. Some things, of course, are difficult and painful and frustrating. But in it all, it's really exciting. You know that about every 500 years, God turns the world upside down. 
You can look back through history. Every 500 years, something happens massively. Um, so 500 years ago, of course, 2007 was the, uh, 2017 rather, one of them, was the uh, 500 anniversary of Martin Luther, of the Reformation. Guess what happened before the revolution? There was a plague across the whole of Europe. In fact, at nearly every time when a new era of God has taken place, there has been plague, pestilence, war, famine, great outbreaks have always come at the same time as a new era and a breakthrough of God. You can track it all through history, including biblical history. And I shared it with you just to tell you as to why I'm excited. Because I, I still passionately believe it. And I realize when you live in day to day, you don't see it, but... I'm believing it. And I'm convinced that we are living in a different time and a different season. And of course, they don't come without a little fight sometimes. They don't come without little challenges. But I am hearing enough from different people, not just in this family, but different people in different places, to know that this is an exciting time. And I, I share all this with you that I'm sharing right now over these last couple of weeks because I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to be an observer. I want you to be a participator. I don't want you to be a consumer on the sidelines. I want you to be in the middle of it, involved in it. Okay. Does somebody want to come on prayer? I feel like somebody else is meant to come on prayer. Somebody just come and pray for us all along those lines. Yeah, well, both come on prayer, great, yeah. Let's have a few of you, fantastic. I've said enough. Lord, thank you for what you're saying to us. Lord, thank you that you've got us in a place where there is time to hear and to absorb and to reflect and ponder on what you're saying because you're saying it faithfully, you're saying it carefully and only if we listen to you saying it through Adam and we would get enough for us here in this place week by week as we go over our notes and consider what you've said not just how he said it, but how you said it through him. And so, Father, I just pray that, yeah, each of us will take up that challenge and stop doing something that isn't sin in itself, like Liverpool versus Manchester United at 4.30 this afternoon, and just, <laughs> just spend time going towards you. Lord, you will not disappoint us as we take steps towards you. And Father, yeah, just thank you for this season of lockdown, of shutdown, where we, we can't do all the busy things that distract. But Lord, thank you that you've given each of us enough time to hear you and let you plot the differences in our lives. Amen.